0: Okay, we are in Acts. We're starting Acts chapter 19. That's where we left off last time, Acts chapter 19. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, "We, know we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And he said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about twelve men. Okay, so in the end of Acts chapter 18, we had read about a man named Apollos, who had received the baptism of John, but also was with John the Baptist long enough to have seen Jesus be baptized and to hear the proclamation that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's why Apollos would accurately preach the things concerning Jesus, it said in Acts 18.25. He was accurately teaching the things of Jesus, but he didn't know about the death and the resurrection of of Jesus. And and Priscilla and Aquila had taken him aside and, and taught him more about it. But now Paul finds some other disciples of John the Baptist who were only with him prior to John naming Jesus as the Messiah. And so they didn't even know that. So now it's important for them to undergo the baptism, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's very important that this is shown because even today in the Middle East there are groups that are, groups that are John the Baptist. And God is clearly establishing here that that in itself isn't sufficient. You have to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when Paul, it says, when they heard this in verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the first thing that Paul did is he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So after baptism, he laid hands on them the Holy Spirit came into them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what's the order? They got baptized. The Holy Spirit then came on them. They began speaking in tongues and then prophesied. And remember what we talked about from the book of Acts. You can't make theology. You can't build theology from the book of Acts. It's a historical book. We see historically what happened. We build theology through the epistles. And let's look back through the occasions where the the gift of tongues came upon people in the book of Acts. But again, I want to underscore the order here. They were baptized. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them through the laying on of hands. Then they began to speak in tongues. Then they began to prophesy. Look back in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, it says, verse Acts chapter two verse three, and there appeared to them uh, uh, tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving utterance. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak with other tongues, it says in verse 4. Filled with the Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. So it's different. Because o- over here, in, in Acts chapter 19, it says, it says that, that uh, they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke with tongues, and they were prophesying. So now, if we look in Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2, interestingly enough, when other Jews were, were saved... It says in verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, So then those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here, at the end of Acts chapter 2, you have a bunch of other Jews that are getting saved, and no reference to them speaking in tongues. They got baptized. There is no reference to them speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2, in the second part. Now if you turn to Acts chapter 8, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 16. This is when the Samaritans, so the first group of people, the first group of Jews to receive the Holy Spirit started speaking in tongues and and that happened on the day of uh, of Pentecost. But no subsequent group of Jews underwent that sort, sort of speaking in tongues within the book of Acts. In the book of Acts now, the Samaritans, another group of people, Receive the Lord. And in Acts, Acts chapter 8, we start reading in, in verse uh, 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, they had, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so so what happens here? So it says that they received the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit never came on them. Then, when, when uh, uh, the apostles came down from Jerusalem, then they came and He prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And then after that, they began laying their hands on them, and, and they began receiving the Holy Spirit. So, again, there's... There, this is this is the order of what happened. It's different. It's different. You don't have this reference in Acts forty one in, in I'm sorry, in Acts chapter eight, about tongues. Again, there's no reference about tongues coming. In Acts eight, verse thirty eight. You see, and when they ordered the chariot to stop, they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he was baptized. So the eunuch was baptized. Nothing here about the eunuch speaking in tongues. But then you go to Acts Chapter ten, verse forty four, and you see this group of people, now this is the Gentiles. Look at the order of what happens in Acts ten forty four. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. So the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit comes. They weren't even yet baptized. The Holy Spirit first came on the Gentiles. And All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the waters for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as he did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized. So prior to their baptism, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they started speaking in tongues. So in this case... This group of people, God opens the door with speaking in tongues. Never again in the book of Acts, with all the Gentiles that are saved, does He discuss them speaking in tongues on the salvation day. You can have whatever theology you want, to free country. Go ahead, have whatever theology you want. But what are you going to take from the book of Acts? What order does it go in? Does it, do you get baptized First? And then the Holy Spirit comes by laying on of hands and then speaking in tongues? Or do, do you get baptized and the Holy Spirit comes and no speaking in tongues? Or do you get the Holy Spirit and then receive the gift of speaking in tongues and then get baptized? You see, you can't build a theology from the book of Acts because there's no consistency here. And then you have lots of salvations in the book of Acts where there's no gift of tongues poured out that are spoken about. But the first group of Gentiles that receives it, it is, it is given as an indication that indeed they've received the Holy Spirit just as, as the Jews did. There was no question that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And then as you, as you move on back to Acts chapter 19, you see that first baptism comes, and then the Holy Spirit, and then tongues and prophesying. There's no particular order, so we can't build a theology from the book of Acts. And that's why when people say, well, in the book of Acts it happened this way, this is the way we ought to do it. Just show them the other passages. Well, maybe it should be done this way. Or maybe it should be done this way. You can't build theology from the book of Acts. Or else we'll get really confused. But it's clear in the epistles what the gift of tongues is is about and what it's for. And that's okay. And, you, you know, people think I'm against tongues. I'm not against tongues at all. I'm just saying... Just look at the Scriptures. What does it look like to you in the Scriptures? If it bothers you that somebody should say something that doesn't line up with what you've been taught before, look at the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? In the book of Acts, there is no consistent pattern. There are multiple salvations in the book of Acts that are recorded that never list the gift of tongues being poured out. There's gift of tongues that is being poured out in the book of Acts was for particular people groups the first time that people group received it. The gift of tongues was poured out. The order in which the tongues came, pre-baptism, post-baptism, varies depending on the the instance. And so, so that's why we look to the epistles to give us really the substance of what we are supposed to be doing. Or else here we'd be thoroughly confused because this is just history. It's it's speaking what had been done. Okay, let's read on in Acts chapter 19. And he entered the synagogue and continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the schools of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, Paul had witnessed for almost three years, maybe even over three years, in in, uh, Corinth. The second most, the city where he spent the second most amount of time was Ephesus. Remember, he was in Ephesus previously. At the end of the second missionary journey, on his way back, he stopped there, but he didn't stay there very long, only for about a week till he could catch the next ship. They brought him back to Jerusalem. Now, he goes through Galatia and Phrygia a very long way on on the third missionary journey and he he comes to Ephesus now. And this, he spent about three months now working, I'm sorry, he entered the synagogue and continues speaking boldly for three months. This is probably the longest he ever spent witnessing in a synagogue. It was when they became belligerent and speaking against what he was saying, that then he, he turned and went to the Gentiles. But according to Romans one sixteen, he did exactly as he, as he has always done. He went to the synagogue first. So he's witnessing now in Ephesus. Remember, prior to his coming to Ephesus, after he, he had stopped there in Ephesus, then Apollos witnessed in Ephesus and then went on over to Corinth. Now, now Paul is there and he's speaking out in the synagogue. And it says that that he was... Speaking out boldly, and he was reasoning and persuading them. You see the way the gospel is preached. There is a bold witness. But along with the bold witness, there is also reasoning and persuading. There are different methods of witnessing. So Paul is not just standing up there and preaching only in the synagogue, he's also reasoning with them. So, reasoning is a dynamic, a conversation is going on. That is part of legitimate witnessing. There's also this persuading them. So in other words, you know, they say something and you logically say something else that causes them to go, Oh, I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. So there's a dynamic, there's a conversation going on. And different of us, now Paul was an apostle, which means that he had a whole bunch of gifts. Different, pe- different groups of us have different gifts in different areas. Some of us are better at standing up and preaching the gospel. Others of us are better at, 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 at this reasoning. You're sitting down and having a discussion and persuasive discussions. You know, I, I'm amazed to watch young people sometimes that they're really good in bringing in other young people to the Lord just through having discussions about the Bible. So different of us, different ones of us have different sort of gifts in the ability to persuade, to discuss, or to preach. And there are different methods of witnessing. And all of them are valid, and all of them are good, and all of them have a place. And it wasn't until they started speaking evil of the way. The, the scriptures within the book of Acts often refer to the teachings of Christ and, and the Christian church as the way. Now today, you know, I know that there's at least one cult that is called the way where they deny the deity of, of Christ. Uh, uh, but this is a common expression that is used in the book of Acts for, for the, the early church. And so he left them when they started speaking belligerently and speaking against it. And this is a good lesson for us. And, and, and uh, we will see that that there's a time to share with people. But when they start coming against it. Uh, and speaking evil about what we're talking with them, maybe it's time to withdraw for a while. You just withdraw for a while and go on and go to more fruitful ways and more fruitful uh, uh, places. So there is a time to move on. But it's also a warning to us that if we don't receive, if we just keep putting it off and putting it off, and I know men like this, to say, oh, well, you know, sometime I'll consider that. And I'm thinking, you, you know, don't put it off too long. I mean, you might die in a car accident this afternoon. Plus, there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going on in your life that you're going to make some really bad decisions. You're going to continue to raise your kids in a way that's going to cause them to be rebellious. So you don't want to put this thing off because God will begin to withdraw. You know, there are times of witnesses that come. But if we don't receive, and for us too as believers, God speaks to our hearts, but if we don't take hold of it, We miss out. And it may be quite some time before we get another witness. And so he withdrew from them and he took the disciples that he had gathered and he began reasoning with them in the school of Tyrennus. So it turns out in Ephesus they would work from the early hours of the morning till about 11 a.m. And then from about 11 a.m. till about 5 p.m., 4 or 5 p.m., they didn't work. And then they would start. They would work again for a few hours in the early evening. This was just the habits in that city. And so Paul was using this facility at a time when it wasn't normally used. And you see churches do the same thing. And this is a good thing. There, there are things that discuss this, this sort of behavior. Where you, you use facilities that are available that wouldn't normally be in use. So for example, Seventh-day Adventist will often use churches on Saturdays when they're not being used by the normal church. Or or, uh, Messianic Jewish groups will use churches on Friday night for their services when it's not normally being used. So to use facilities. And then I know churches that use theaters on Sunday mornings. When theaters, you know, nobody goes to the theater on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, so they'll use those facilities. This is an example of it in the book of Acts. Not that we have to do it. It's not doctrinal that we have to use facilities, the world's facilities. It's just an example of it. Verse 10, and this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now remember what we said about this word all. This word all in the scriptures is not like we use the context all. For us, when we say all, it means every last living one of them. All just means that it was a great amount. Because I'm sure that, that, that not everyone heard the word of God in all of Asia. But it took place for two years, so the witness went on for a long time. Now let's look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Skiva, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. And the evil spirits answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So that many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found them. Found it was 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing. These were extraordinary miracles. They weren't typical miracles that were being done. In verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. It was not the typical miracles, but extraordinary miracles, unusual miracles were being done by the hands of Paul. Even a handkerchief or an apron could be carried from his body and carried to some sick person, and the diseases would come out. So this is really, really, and and and. They'd be healed of the body of the sicknesses, diseases left them, and evil spirits went out. So, not all sicknesses are given by evil spirits. If there were evil spirits coming out, if there were evil spirit activity, there were sicknesses being healed. This was an unusual thing, and it was extraordinary. And so some believers feel that, you know, this should always work. You know, if you pray over, you know, something, now bring this thing to the sick person, they're going to be healed. That may work, it may not. Because even with Paul, this was extraordinary. The Bible called it extraordinary. Unusual. Because there are numerous examples where this didn't happen. Didn't happen this way. Look in, in, uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 8. Paul is struck with an affliction... In his flesh, in Second Corinthians 12, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So, Paul had something afflicting his flesh. God gave it to him to keep him from exalting himself. And I can understand this. You know, with the revelations that Paul had, he may have been prone to exalt himself, but he had some physical ailment, something in his flesh that afflicted him, that kept him humble. God uses this type of thing in our lives sometimes. Things happen to keep us humble. Let me give you an example. In my own life. You know, when when I start getting a lot of grant money and the group gets big and everything's, I I can become really ugly in my personality. And I can start treating secretaries meanly and, you know, wondering why don't people, you know, other people bring in grant money like this. And then, invariably, what happens when my attitude gets like that, over a period of months, my grants don't get renewed. And I become really hard up for grant money. And then I pray a lot harder. I say, God, forgive me. And my attitude toward people changes a lot because I'm trying to negotiate with colleagues if we can swap some funds for a while while I work. And it's amazing how things can happen to us in our lives that cause us to catch ourselves. And God does that in our lives to keep us from becoming too ugly. The amazing thing about Jesus is here is a man who could heal the sick, raise the dead, speak the word, and and the the blind man would see. Yet his attitude remains so kind and gracious to the sinners and those who were lost. Normal men are not like that. I've seen men hit positions of authority. And in the beginning, you know, they need to know and they need to learn. And, they need, and they're so nice and kind and everything. But a couple of years in that position, and they start really getting full of themselves. And they become so ugly and so intolerable to work with. And they start wielding authority in a very mean fashion. And then finally, you know, the kibosh has to come on them from their superior. Like, what are you doing? Because it is the tendency of man's heart to take success and to become conceited and ugly with it. Has that ever happened to anyone? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the tendency of man. And that, that is what speaks volumes to me about the purity of Jesus, that he was not a normal man. Remember, people tried to make him king, and he said that he'd have no part of it. No normal human being could have done what he did and remained so humble. Paul had to have a thorn put in his flesh to keep him humble. Well, why didn't God answer his prayer? Extraordinary miracles of healing. Why didn't God just heal Paul when he requested three times? Because God had a different purpose. Look in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter two verse twenty seven. I'm sorry, yeah, Philippians two twenty seven. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God <clears throat> God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So here his friend Epaphroditus was sick. And he was so sick. That uh, uh, he was sick to the point of death. Well, if Paul had this extraordinary ability to heal, why didn't he just touch this guy or send his handkerchief so that Epaphroditus is not sick anymore? Well, God spared Epaphroditus' life because it would have hurt Paul too much. But Epaphroditus was really quite sick. Look in First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. This is, this is a verse that, that unbelievers love to quote a lot. They put it on their shirts and stuff. First, Timothy chapter five, verse 23. Paul is instructing Timothy, "No longer drink wine exclusively, but no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments." So Paul is advising Timothy to drink wine, to calm the stomach problems that he's having and some of his ailments. Well, if Paul is such a miraculous healer, and all of this were happening all the time to Paul, why, you, you know, this one that he considered his, his son in the faith, this wonderful disciple of his, why doesn't he just speak the word and heal the guy? Because these extraordinary miracles were not working through Paul all the time. It was there in Ephesus it was working. Look in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Aratus remained at Corinth. Uh, but I left Tromius, but, but Tromius, I left sick at my, Miletus. So Paul left Tro, Tro, I'm sorry, Trophimus, his friend, sick in Miletus. Why would he leave him sick? Why didn't he just heal him before he left Miletus? Because he probably prayed for him and nothing happened. And that's why, when we get too excited, we say, you know, God does heal the sick. If you just have faith, you'll get better. And unbelievers rightly say to us, look, if you've got this gift of healing that's so miraculous, why don't you go to the hospital and heal everybody there? And they're right. They're justifiable in saying that. You say, well, not everybody there has faith. Well, you heal a couple of them and they'll start having faith. Clean out M.D. Anderson. You'll have a whole bunch of people in your church the next day. A whole bunch. If you can go through M.D. Anderson and heal all those people who are on their deathbed. And so, as believers, we have to we have to look at this and understand that this was an extraordinary miracle. And you will hear missionaries come back from the mission field and talk about what God is doing on the mission field. You go, whoa! You can't expect that to always happen here, or there will be instances where God, you know, visits a church for a week and you miraculous things happen. But it doesn't continue like that, and that's not because everybody had faith and now has lost faith. It was extraordinary for that situation, for that instance, there were extraordinary things that were happening. There is the non-extraordinary, which is still miraculous, and that's people get saved all the time. But as far as these gifts of healing, these come and go with seasons of the time. You see what I mean? Now, sometimes it may be because we've become lethargic in our faith and things like that, but other times, we can be as zealous and have as much faith as we did the last time, even more. But nothing is happening. I have known people to flush their contact lenses down the toilet, feeling that this was an act of faith, and that God would then heal their eyes. And this was long before LASIK came in, and this was back when contact lenses were really expensive, and he bought like one set for the entire year. And this woman, as a penalty to herself, wore her thick glasses because she felt so bad about what she had done because God had never did heal her eyes. But you, you see how silly we can become sometimes. It's not abnormal for Christians to get like this. Christians get like this sometimes, and this is why people in the world look at us and think we're really quite silly, because sometimes we do this, but God warned us about this. God says, I've chosen you because you're not wise. That's what He says in 1 Corinthians. I've not chosen the wise. I've not strong, chosen the strong or the intelligent. And, and it's manifest. I mean, this, this word is true. And then, <clears throat> there are these seven sons of Sceva that, that, that see... How effective Paul's ministry was, and this group is written about also by Josephus, which is a, a, a historian from that time, and he talks about these seven sons of Sceva. This was a Jewish sect that had split off from Judaism, and their their their, their father was a chief priest, probably not any longer. But, uh, there there were seven brothers, and they saw this, and they used to use incantations to cast out spirits. And they saw how effective Paul was at this, and so they decided to use the name of Jesus as an incantation. And it says in in verse 13 that they would say, uh, uh, they would use the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they were using the name of Jesus as an incantation, thinking that that would cast out these demons. And the demons reply to them, and they say, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. They knew Jesus. They had a recognition of Jesus. Demons know Jesus. He is the one that can just pick them up and cast them into hellfire. And that's why they would implore Jesus sometimes, you know, know, don't cast us in right now. And they knew about Paul, but they didn't know these guys. And when they tried to use the name of Jesus, without knowing Jesus, it says that this man, who had the evil spirit, he leapt on them and he overpowered them. And he beat up the seven guys and he ripped their robes off them and sent them running away naked. This was such a big thing, it became known in verse 17, to all Both Jews and Greeks, so Jews and Gentiles, everyone who lived in Ephesus heard about this and became afraid. So God used this event of unbelievers, of this Jewish sect that practiced black arts to cause fear to fall upon everyone. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So God used this very negative thing to bring glory to Jesus. God did that. And that can happen sometimes. And it happened, It was so vivid in verse 18. Many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing the practices. So there were believers who saw this who went, Gulp, I've messed around in black arts too. And they came and started confessing and disclosing their practices. The first thing you've got to do with repentance... You've got some junk in your life. Let me tell you what you got to do if you want to see this, this really healed. First thing you've got to do is you've got to come. You may be a disciple. You may know Jesus. These people knew Jesus. It says, Many also, in verse 18, who had believed, kept coming. You've got to come. So if you believe in Jesus, but you've got struggles that you have no way to overcome and, and some secret sins that, that need to be dealt with, you've got to come forward. You've got to, it says you 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 got to confess and disclose the practices so confession is confessing that you have done it <clears throat> but then disclosing the practices this is very specific yeah i've i've participated in the black arts this is exactly what i've done i've used these incantations i've used these books i did this Not that you have to do it publicly to everybody, but you may want to do it to an individual. It says in James chapter 5, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It is good at times to confess our sins to one another, to another person. They confessed specifically. They were confessing and they were disclosing specifically the things they had done. And then the next thing they did is they took in verse 19 and many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And then they took steps to actively inhibit their 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 participation in this practice again. You first come. You second confess your sins and say what I have done is wrong. Third, you begin to disclose the details of what you've done. You say, well why do I have to disclose the details? You don't have to even come. You don't have to do anything but when you disclose the details it gives it it inhibits the enemy from continuing to work in your life because somebody else now knows and then you take active steps to stop it give you an example if you are overcome by pornography when i was when i was a teenager I was really into pornography. And I used to get my magazines. I worked in the gas station. and I used to get my magazines from the dumpsters where the businessmen would throw them out on the highway there because there was a gas station on the highway. And I had a huge stash of magazines. And, and uh, in those days, if you wanted to get these magazines, you had to, if you wanted to buy them, you had to go in a really seedy shop and buy them. And, and I was just a kid and I just got them out of the trash can. And I had a whole stash of them. I went off to college when God, when I got saved at 18, during my, November of my freshman year, when I came home for Thanksgiving, I took the entire stash of magazines and I burned them. Just burned them all. I wanted to do something to get rid of this. And now the access is so easy; you don't have to go anywhere. You just click on your computer, and boom, it is there. It is just there, all over there. And you can do a web, have, get a webcam, and participate in all sorts of things on your computer. And if you're stuck in this, let me tell you what to do. Get rid of your webcam. Either throw it out or give it away to somebody. Get rid of software that shouldn't be there. Get rid of images on your computer and share with somebody what you have done and ask them to look over your computer periodically. And then get into that net accountability program that sends the URL of every website that you visit to your accountability partner. And you can set up your computer to do that, so that every website you visit, it goes to your accountability partner, so your accountability partner can see what you're visiting. You take active steps to inhibit the practice of this. It may be more extreme, and you can't have a computer in your room, where you can only use a computer in the library. It may be that extreme, but do it. If you're in bondage to, to internet pornography, do it. I've had young men come to me and share with me very vivid things. On many occasions I've had young men do this. And, you know, they share with me really, you know, gross sounding stuff. And as soon as they, they get done, I say, is that it? Is there anything else? I want them to tell me everything so there's no hook there that the enemy could say, well, you know, you have this secret. Is there anything else? I say, okay. Thanks for telling me. Let's pray. That's it. You know, there's no trash that you could share with me that I haven't heard before. Really. Either done myself before or heard before. There's no trash there. All sorts of stuff. I, nothing surprises me. And you know the amazing thing is, nothing surprises God either. He has seen human beings for a long time. And He's seen believers. Believers come and disclose their practices. That's what happened here. If you want to be free from sins that wear against you, come. Confess your sin. Disclose your practices. I did X, Y, and Z. Disclosing the practices are different than confession of sin. Confession of sin is acknowledgement of wrong and asking God to forgive you. Disclosing the practices are, I did X, I did Y, I did Z. On this occasion, I did this, I've done this, I've done this. And then if the person you're sharing it with is, 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 a, is a counselor or a person who is, is, is worthy of being in the position of being shared with, it won't surprise them. They've heard it all before. You share that, and then you take active steps to inhibit it from happening again. You get rid of the things. This costs them a lot of money, 50,000 pieces of silver. So I guess probably... 50,000 Greek drachmas. A drachma was approximately a day's wage. That's what my Bible says. So, so uh, 50,000 days of wages. You know, I've, I've heard others that it, w- it was maybe a smaller amount. But whatever it was, it was many tens of thousands of dollars. You say, well, you know, I have a lot invested in that computer. Yeah, but if it's a sin to you, then give it away. Please get the blessing of giving away. Per, you, know, you know, reformat it and give it away. If you can't deal with a computer and just use one where there's other people around. Or maybe you can only use a laptop in, in, in the coffee shop when there's other people around you. Maybe you have to do that. There are steps that you take. There are steps that I take to protect myself. <clears throat> Any woman comes in my office, the door is open. That's just the policy I have. My secretary knows it. If a woman comes in, shuts the door behind her, even if she wants to cry about her organic chemistry grade, the door stays open. She's got to cry with the door open. There are steps that I take to protect myself. The Bible says, "Be clear even of the appearance of evil." I don't want somebody to come walking in my office and see a, a young woman and me in there alone, and the young woman with tears. I don't want to. See, I don't want. I want the door to be open. I don't want there to be any sort of thing there. So you you take practices to protect yourself. To guard your heart. This is what you do. If you are stuck in something and it happens to believers, these were believers, you take these steps. But without coming, confessing, disclosing the X, Y, and Z, and dealing with what you have to deal with to prevent it, you won't have success. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the clarity of it, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that in the name of Jesus, You work in their lives and through their lives. Father, work in and through them. Father, I pray that if there be ones here caught in evil activities, whether it be the occult, whether it be sexual sins, pornography, Father, I pray that they would come confess, disclose, and deal with it. Deal with the things that catch them. Father, I pray for Your grace upon these young men and these young women. Father, that they would be able to see freedom in their lives. Lord, I pray for the grace of God to abound on them. In the name of Jesus, Amen.